Welcome back to the Black and Gold Batterette Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez, and we are continuing our fall sports previews this week with men's soccer. Uh, bear in mind, if, you've, uh, if you haven't listened to our women's soccer or volleyball previews, we have those up as well this week. We're doing these in lieu of our regular show, just sort of uh, some quick little previews that we have here, uh, interviews with coaches uh, heading into the uh, fall sports. So, uh, we had Todd Dagenet from volleyball. We had Tiffany Robertson-Hadak from women's soccer. Now let's talk about men's soccer. And uh, we got a new head coach of UCF men's soccer, Scott Calabrese. We'll be talking to him in uh, just a little bit. I got an interview with him right before practice uh, a few days back. So uh, we'll be bringing that to you and previewing uh, what UCF looks like uh, heading into the 2017 uh, season. So, um, without, uh, so, so before we get to that, um, just a quick reminder, uh, you, can follow, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com and on Facebook. Just look us up at Black and Gold Banneret. And on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, if you don't already, on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and, of course, iTunes. So... We're all set, ready to go for this one, Eric Lopez, and here we go with men's soccer, UCF men's soccer, uh, with a new guy at the helm, Scott Calabrese. Uh, he comes over from FIU, where he has, had been the head coach for three years. He actually beat UCF all three times he played him at FIU. Prior to that, he was at East Tennessee State, helped uh, uh, help that program from 2007 to uh, 2013, actually helped found East Tennessee State's program back in 2007. He's been an assistant at Clemson, at North Carolina, at Stetson, um, and he was also an assistant with the Carolina Courage uh, team in the uh, a women's pro team um, back in 2002-2003 uh, in uh, WUSA. And um, interestingly enough, one of the players who played for him uh, when he was an assistant with the Carolina Courage was Tiffany Roberts Sahadak. Uh, so, and and we'll, Scott talks about this in the interview, and also one of you know one of his friends from uh, from his time in the Raleigh Durham area is also Tim Sahadak, you know Tiffany's husband, uh, and an assistant coach at the UCF women's side. Um, Scott was uh, was a goalkeeper actually as a player, um, played for. Um, the uh, Rhode Island Stingrays and the South Carolina Shamrocks from 95 to 98. Uh, he's originally from New Haven, Connecticut, but um, loves being down here in uh, down in Florida. And he takes over a team that uh, last year um, caught a lot of tough breaks. They finished five and 11 in Brian Cunningham's final season, three and four uh, in the conference. Um, they had a couple matches canceled due to various different problems. The weather. You know, they had a game at Charlotte that got canceled, a game at Mercer that got canceled, and just a series of one-goal decisions, um, many, of, many of which not, did not go um, their way. There are 16 games. I think, I think 12 of them were decided basically by one goal or, or were essentially one-goal games. Um, you know, but you know, when you come up short, um, you know, those things kind of stack up over time. The Knights... Um, did finish the season uh, against uh, USF 
in Tampa in the uh, American Athletic Conference Championship uh, with a two to one loss to the Bulls, uh, and then uh, and then that was the end for uh, Brian Cunningham, who actually uh, landed on his feet. He's actually the uh, new head coach for Mount St. Mary's uh, and is actually helping to restart that program. So best of luck to Brian. Uh, he was a friend of ours and a friend of the show um, for uh, when we started it last year. But uh, now it's Scott. Now it's Scott Calabrese's turn here uh, at UCF men's soccer. And, and just real quick before we go to Scott, Eric, um, looking back at UCF season last year, just, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm curious if you feel the same way. I, I feel like, you know, again, coin flips, just like the women's side, the women's soccer uh, uh, team last year, it just, it could have, so many matches just could have gone either way, and they just didn't. But at the end of the day, they didn't, and, that, and it's a bottom line business, isn't it? Well, I mean, you think about it, it was kind of a rough start to the year where they got they, it felt like they were kind of catching up the whole year, and then they started to kind of started to turn some things around late. And then remember, they had a great match in that semifinal in the conference against USF, lost a heartbreaker there. You just never know, a, you know, a shot here or there could have made the difference. And that's just the way it is in the industry. You know, that's the way the business works. And uh, now you got Coach Calabrese on, and, and, and it'll be interesting to see if he could follow in the footsteps of all the other new UCF coaches and turn this program into the tournament. But I think <laughs> – Yeah, to, no to pressure, your- right, if you're first-year head coach at UCF. <laughs> Correct. But what I'm interested in hearing is how does he feel about this roster? Because you've got arguably the best player in the league on your roster. You know, maybe you got some things to work with that maybe uh, you can kind of do some things quicker than maybe some might expect. Well, we go into that and plenty more. So here is my interview with new UCF men's soccer head coach in his first year at UCF, Scott Calabrese. All right, Coach Scott Calabrese, how are you? Welcome to UCF, and thanks for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thank you, thank you. We uh, right now, how's the team looking from your perspective right now at this season? Right around the corner, you got one exhibition game under your belt where you scored nine goals. Yeah, uh, are they right where you want to be? <laughs> I, I think we're making progress. I, I think preseason's been really productive. Um, when you take a look at our most recent game, and and you see. The uh, you know the, the offensive production. Uh, there's going to be some positives that we can take away from that, and uh, I think overall the preparation of the team is is in line with where we thought we would be. Uh, still a long way to go. We're only seven days into preseason, so still a lot to cover and uh, a lot to work out. But but so far, I'm pleased with our progress. You came to UCF from FIU. What yes. brought you here? Well, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things that, that attracted me to UCF. It, just the school, the university, and the athletic department and their vision for what they really want to become was was really exciting. Uh, Dr. White and where he wants this, this program to be in the future, not, not just soccer, but the overall athletic department, is um, it's really exciting. And uh, I when I saw everything that had been, and obviously we played against UCF, so we had been up here, um, and uh, it was it's just a really interesting project. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. You knew your counterpart on the women's side, Tiffany Roberts-Hadak, from your days at the <laughs> Carolina did. Courage. Did, did you did you talk to her uh, before you took the job here at UCF? Oh, absolutely. I, I've known Tiffany and I've known Tim Sahadak as well for years and years. Uh, 
worked closely with with both of them uh, at, at the Courage, and then Tim and I also had worked together at Triangle Football Club. So uh, they had such positive things to say about UCF and the area, uh, Orlando in general. Uh, it was uh, it was really encouraging, and and you know it's also great to have close friends here. Uh, to, to welcome you and, and our, you know, and your family. So it, it, it was great to have them here. Makes the transition a little easier. Yeah. Makes the transition so much, so much smoother for us. When you were at FIU, you guys mm-hmm. beat us three years in a row, all three years that you were here. It's true. So what was UCF missing, in your opinion, that you saw as an opposing coach that you feel you can bring to the program now? Well, I think when you look at the, the games, they're all a little bit different in terms of how FIU was able to get the results but but I think overall um, there was a, a very clear identity that FIU had as as a team in terms of how we were going to play and um, it was it was different to UCF and and I thought uh, it, it's also in line with my philosophy of coaching so I, I, I would say you know we'll try to bring that identity here integrate the players that are here um, see if they can adopt it adapt to it and and make it effective you know at the end of the day FIU became a very effective team um, trying to play a certain way and so you know we have to find that at UCF we have to become the most effective version of ourselves the best version of ourselves given the individual qualities and talents of the players that are here and the players that we brought in so uh, you know you can't you don't actually just bring one thing to any environment you're literally combining your philosophies and and the existing environment so it's uh which means i adapt probably a little bit too you have a reputation as a guy who loves to dive into analytics most people don't think of analytics when they think of soccer i think it's something that we think more about with baseball and now with football and basketball a little bit more but when you think of analytics in the in this game what metrics do you use that can help fans understand it a little bit better from your perspective well, I, there's there's kind of two lenses we look at our metrics through. Um, so especially right now in preseason, there's this the physical side. So we're measuring uh, our training sessions and what are we doing to the players physically and how are they adapting and trying to make sure that we're maximizing those things. So we're looking at heart rates and the heart rate response to our exercise. We're looking at the distances we're, we're covering with our GPS and the intensity of those distances and most importantly we're looking at the volume of training overall to make sure that we're getting the maximum out of our players without going too far and then now we're injuring our players so that's one thing we're looking at Uh, and then there's a metric that's more based around like the tactics of how we play and that has to be developed individually for your team Um, so that's an ongoing process for us I would say from a philosophical standpoint, one of the things that we would like to do is to control the ball. And so our, our time in possession is going to be important. Uh, the amount of passes that we play, th- those are kind of initially important metrics because that goes to the philosophy. Now, as we move forward, we're going to have to refine that because each team's metrics are different based on the team. So if you had a, a very physical, more direct team, possession isn't a metric that equates to winning so depending on how our team develops and our system develops our metrics will develop and what we'll look at more closely as 
an important metric to winning or um, KPI, key performance indicator for our team, will develop those. I remember that story. I forget if it was on Deadspin or it was on Grantland. It was about how uh, in the early days of like soccer analytics, it, uh, there was a, a coach for the for Team England that mm-hmm. completely messed up Eng- English soccer basically for an entire generation because it was based on flawed data. But but everything's a lot more tight these days because you have the advantage of you know not just monitoring how how far the players are running and and how much energy they're expending but also the advent of video and all that that they actually get into right now though is it it, 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 how much how far has it come these days well i i feel like the person you're referring to is charles hughes who i think he measured how many passes before a goal uh i can't remember the exact uh phrase they used but um that was a key performance indicator for them. Right. And then, of course, whenever you're doing statistics, have you found, like, a spurious correlation? So, right. Like, yeah, okay, on Tuesday you win when the moon is full, but in reality that is spurious. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything. So, um, you know, I, I, I think it's important, but I also think uh, you don't want to get bogged down in it. You don't want to get handcuffed by numbers and, and those things. So you have to be careful. Uh, and there's a little bit still of an eye test that a coach uses, and and there is still an art to it, I think, because uh, there's a very you're coaching humans, and yeah. there's a major human element to to things. So it's it's a balance. You use it as a tool, but it shouldn't dominate your approach. Let's talk about this team right here. Matias Puzolo is back. What does he bring to the table for you on offense? Well, I, I would tell you he's uh, he's very productive, obviously in and around goal. Um, in that final third, he knows where he likes to score goals from. He arrives in that position uh, ready to produce. Uh, and he's, he's clinical from certain areas. So uh, he's, he's an important part of what we're doing. Uh, and now he, he needs a supply of the ball. So now you need your midfielders to be able to get him the ball into these dangerous areas. And, and then he's so professional in terms of his approach and so hardworking and so disciplined that you know you're always going to get a certain level of performance from Mate. His worst day is probably a 7 and his best day is a 10. Um, you're never going to see Mate hit anything less than a 7 because his preparation's so good. Um, so I think that's the other thing we get from him is we get a consistently hardworking, intelligent, disciplined human being on the field who is one of our best players, clearly an important player, but also in a great example. On defense, what do you feel is this team's best strength heading into the season? Well, my philosophy is that 11 players have to defend, just like 11 players are part of the attack. So our strength needs to develop into um, a, a team understanding of how we react and deal with every situation um, that that comes our way, whether we're being pressed and how we deal with that, whether we're pressing, whether we decide to sit lower, um, whether they break our pressure, how do we react? Uh, how do we react when they get into the final third? They're the wide area. They're about to cross the ball. Like we, we really need to just understand as a team how we deal with things. And, and so the individual in this case is important, but the collective is, is the most important. That makes such a difference, because especially considering how many teams this game lost last year by one goal. Twelve. Twelve. Yeah. I mean, have you seen well, anything actually, like there, that before? Was well, it, I'll say was it there, were, there were twelve games decided by a goal. Yeah. Went by one goal, win or lose. Right. Uh, 
and that I think was in a 16 game schedule. Right. So you got four games that were multiple goal games in terms of the difference between winning and losing. And that's that's actually was part of a conversation early on about the details and you know the it's an aggregation of marginal gains. And so if you really focus on every little detail that you can and you're looking for 1% everywhere that you can possibly find it, 1% times 27 guys, and you find 1% 10 times through nutrition, organization, recruiting, uh, sleep, you name it, then that's gonna make a big difference when you pull it all together. What was that line from uh, Any Given Sunday in Al Pacino? The inches we need are all around us. And that, that's it. It, it, is a, it really is a game of inches. And if you can find enough of them, then now that one goal loss becomes a one goal draw or a one goal win. What do you want the personality of this team to be? I think we want to be blue collar, hardworking. Uh, I think we really need to enjoy the, the, the just having passion and putting effort into, uh, into every part of the game, not just the attacking side, but the defending side. And uh, I think we want to be a unified group in, in what we do. Um, and we want to compete. And if, if, if those are the dominant characteristics of our team from a personality standpoint, then uh, you absolutely give yourself the opportunity every time you go out there to, to get the result you're looking for. All right, you got time for speed round? Yes. We can knock it out real quick. I'm going to try. All right. All right. First up, athlete you love the most growing up. So I was torn between Lawrence Taylor, who obviously has a bit of a checkered past, and Michael Jordan. And Lawrence Taylor was just the most committed, nasty, hardworking player. Um, and Michael Jordan is just dominant competitor. So that's obviously, those are American sports, which I grew up with. And then as a player in soccer, I would have to say, uh, massive fan of Dennis Burkamp. Athlete you sports hated the most growing up. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. It's probably Christian Leitner. <laughs> Favorite coach when you were growing up? Uh, well, I kind of developed an interest in coaching later. So I would say, like influences. Um, now you have, and everyone's probably going to say this, the Gladiola, the Arsene Wenger, because I was a massive Arsenal fan, which is, which is hard now to be an Arsenal fan at times, but I was a huge, um, huge fan of, of Wenger and, and his teams. Favorite meal? Oh, wow. Uh, Biba's lasagna. Um, so that's a California, like northern Italian kitchen. And man, it's good. God, we're like best friends now. Lawrence Taylor, <laughs> lasagna. After a great victory, you come home, you open the fridge, and you pour yourself a nice glass of what? <laughs> now it's kombucha. <laughs> Favorite musical artist or band? Oh, it's uh, Mumford & Sons, 100%. Okay. They're amazing. Favorite actor? Ooh, man. I would have to say maybe Sean Connery growing up. It's really just powerful individual like late Sean presence. Connery or like James Bond era James, Sean James Bond during that day he was the he was the man favorite movie ooh favorite movie oh man that's a tough one i guess i like the sci-fi star wars trilogy or now, now it's not a trilogy. What is it? A heck? Oh God, uh, I don't know. I, I was waiting for you to of... say Hunt for Red October because that's my favorite. <laughs> and you said Sean that's a, Connery. No, that's a good movie. That's a good movie. It's the, it's the best guy movie in history. <laughs> uh, 
TV channel that's on the, on all the time in the office? Uh, it's it's always soccer. It was that MSNBC that has all the premiership NBC soccer. Sports, yeah, I think, right? NBC yeah. Sports, yeah. 100%. I, actually, pretty much all I watch now is soccer. TV channel that's on all the time at home? Oh, probably. So it's that one, but then obviously the, the wife and the kids each have their choice. So you either got uh, Chip and JoJo with... Uh, the, is that Home and Garden Network, HGTV? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so Chip and JoJo are awesome. And then uh, the kids, I mean, they are into Strawberry Shortcake. They're they're into, we used to have little Is that Nick signs. Jr.? Yeah, you got, yeah. you got a little Nick Jr. in Disney. Road I got races. a three-year-old, so yeah, I'm, oh, I'm right with you. You are, yeah, you know what that's about then. Favorite place to be in Orlando that isn't the house or the office? <laughs> uh, so... What would that be? Um, where have we... Oh, you know what? I, I like going to the farmer's market on Sundays. Was that Lake, Lake Eola? Yeah. That was, that's a wonderful place. I, I love Winter Park. Um, just beautiful vibe, nice restaurants, and beautiful park. Good so, place to hang. Great place to hang. Yeah. Best player you've ever coached against? Coached against? Yes. Um... Wow, that's tough. That's tough. There's, You've had there's, some good ones. Yeah, yeah. We've we've played against some really, really good ones. Um, thinking back, probably ACC days. You've got like Cal Martino from Virginia. Uh, you know, you've you've got uh, Duke. The guy Wenger was yeah. pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, I, I would say probably Martino was a heck of a player. Best coach you've ever coached against? Elmar Bulovich, guy that I learned quite a bit from when I was at Chapel Hill. Best team you've ever seen in any sport? Well, in, in college soccer, it was Wake Forest. Um, they were just on a different level. Um, best team in any sport that I've seen would be the Arsenal team from the, the, the Invincibles. Most famous person you've ever had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with? Well, I don't know a whole lot of famous people, but I guess because it's the soccer world, uh, Alexi Lalas is pretty famous. I, I did something where Alexi Lalas took penalty kicks against this down in Miami. Lalas and Sergio Garcia took penalty kicks against me. Oh, gosh. And uh, it was at, um, it was actually at Trump's golf course. Oh, right. Which, Doral? In Doral. Right. So, you know, obviously that's a hot topic right now. But, uh, yeah, so had a little conversation with Lexi after. If it wasn't for soccer, you would be doing what professionally? Oh, man, I have no idea. I guess originally my plan was to be uh, in banking like my dad. My dad was a, you know, a top guy at like a savings and loan, and I and then I made the, the switch. If it wasn't for soccer, you would have gotten into what other sport? So I really liked volleyball and basketball growing up. Um, being 5'10 didn't really help me in the basketball world. You talked to Dagenet about that? Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy being vertically challenged. Um, so, yeah. Place you're going to buy your retirement home in? Lake Tahoe. Favorite pro team in any sport? Favorite pro team in any sport, uh, I would ha it's Arsenal. Favorite sports moment you did not participate in? 
<laughs> um, goodness. I would have to say I have yet to participate in any Champions League final. Okay. So that's a goal of mine. If you could change one on-field rule right now, what would it be? One on-field rule right now within the game. Um, it's actually in process right now is to change the offsides so that there's no mistake. And uh, that's the one thing with, with soccer. I think a lot of uh, American fans that are adopting the sport of soccer have a hard time with is, is the offsides rule and the sometimes inconsistent uh, evaluation of that rule by referees. Uh, if you could change one off-field rule, what would it be? This is the easiest question so far. That we would have a 10-month season. That we would have a season... I've been hearing a lot about that. That, that mirrored a European season. That we'd only play one game a week. That we would have a mid-year break. It's the benefit to the, to the players. Is, uh, it's so significant for their development. You think uh, that'll happen? I think there's a lot of people that want that to happen. I think there's a lot of important people. I think there's there's people in important positions in the NCA that see the benefit of it, and it's not um, it's not beyond the realm of possibility because there are sports that already have a full season, a full year, and I, I feel like golf and tennis are are two sports that have that. Uh, and there's physiologically, this is what makes sense for soccer. Best piece of advice you've ever gotten. Um, the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Best thing a player, current or former, ever told you? Ah, be yourself. Don't try to coach like someone else. Be yourself. One book you think everyone should read. This is the last one. Oh, wow. Um, maybe. So it's, I kind of focus on the first paragraph. Is it The Path Less Chosen? where the first paragraph of that book basically says, life is difficult. And when you start with that as a starting point for everything you do, um, life is no longer difficult, it just is. So I would say that's something that I've always kept in my mind. Scott Calabrese, head coach, UCF men's soccer. Thanks for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Good luck during the season. We'll catch up with you soon. All right, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you so much to Scott once again. And thanks to Nate Blythe as well for uh, helping us out with that interview. Um, I loved this interview, by the way, with Scott, as you can tell. Um, yeah, first of all, he had me when he mentioned that Lawrence Taylor was probably his favorite football player of all time. And I was like, OK, we're friends now. And uh, and and uh, interesting. It's such an interesting approach to the game. Um, I tend to think that you know, for a guy who's had success at FIU as he has, to come up to a place like UCF where you have a little bit more resources is really um, is really such a tremendous move up. I think that it's um, – and, again, it's going to take a little bit of time, but actually we had some news come down about eight hours ago uh, from when we were recording this, recording this on Wednesday, August 23rd. Uh, he's got uh, – a uh, his uh, signing class is now official – uh, 12 new nights coming to UCF uh, next year. Uh, amazing how quickly that happens. And uh, and they're really excited about all those guys who are coming in um, as well. But nonetheless, this is the team that he has. 
for uh, for this year, and and it does come down to uh, Matthias Puzolo, um, who you know was a tremendous goal scorer last year, uh, and figures to do that much this year. They want to get him the ball, and uh, but the opportunity, but the thing is, you know, you know, it's one thing to get him the ball; it's another thing to actually set the situation up as well and get some defense going, uh, which was a little bit of a struggle at times for the Knights uh, last year. Uh, starting in the opener, but they have the opportunity to do that now. I think I, I think that uh, Calabrese is pretty excited about the talent that he has all the way around, and about the talent coming in, which is good to see. I agree. Now, here's the question: Having you spent some time with him, uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure you're the, uh, the this is the first exclusive interview he's given since he got hired I, I, that I'm aware of. What's your impressions on him? Can he win here? It sounds redundant, but what what jumped out at you just being around him and talking to him? What jumped out to you? Because I sense in your voice and in your tone, even during the interview and even during this, you know, as we're talking, I sense uh, maybe an excitement. I don't know if that's the proper word. Excitement, kind of a unique. Uh, you, you're very. It, it seems like you're bought in already. I I I was impressed with his uh, infectious charisma. Let's put it that way. Um, and I think that filters down to the players, too. I think that, you know, when you've struggled for a few years, it's easy to get down in the dumps. And when you have a new guy come in and say, hey, guys, listen, this is, you know, you know let's get excited about what we can do. I got some new things planned for you. We're going to let it rip. We're going to have some fun. Um, I think that that makes a tremendous difference for players. And, uh, and I can sense that, too. You know, to be—I mean, I was going to say—you know—his passion for the game is is really something to watch. But I mean, you know, when you're a head coach of a NCAA men's soccer team, I mean, you have to be passionate about the game, right? There's just no two ways about that. But I think also his approach, and we talked about this, where he's such a where he, uh, you know, he he loves the analytics of soccer, and I I think that he, um, you know, based on his approach, we we've seen how tough those FIU teams were against us I think they beat us two nothing every single time it's like it's like the United States and Mexico right dos acero but to apply what he his approach to UCF's roster I think is going to be uh is going to be a big boost uh to UCF's program so uh I'm looking forward to seeing how it works out uh I'm looking forward to seeing these first couple matches and we take a look at the schedule here you know um this this schedule is not going to be uh, any real slouch, uh, sort of uh, out of the gate for UCF. And we talked about you know the the quirks of the uh, of the uh, um, of the American schedule, but you know remember they scored nine goals in an exhibition against Tampa. Uh, they beat Georgia Southern in an exhibition one nothing, and then they go right out of the gate. And uh, this coming Friday they play Duke up in Durham, and then they got Elon at in Durham as well. Home for Charlotte, and then at Jacksonville, at West Virginia. Home for Florida International, at Florida Gulf Coast, and then you start the conference slate with uh, with a couple of tough ones at USF, at SMU. You have some non conference games kind of sprinkled in there with Stetson and FAU uh, coming to town, but um, yeah, this is this is a this is a pretty tough slate coming in. And and remember, they they're going to be getting to the American Championships uh, hopefully by uh, you know early mid November. So this season is going to move really quickly, as it always does uh, with soccer in particular. So, uh, but if you ca- if you catch a couple of these early ones and the team gains a little bit of confidence, 
um, that could be a re- then things could get really interesting, especially when you get to conference play because of the limited number of conference games you play. And uh, it, that you know, look, I think it, it's a very close, narrow margin. I'm going to be bold here, Jeffrey. I'm ready to be bold. Okay. You ready to hear me bold? All, All right. right. Well, bear in mind, what? UCF finished fourth in the American last year. Eric Lopez, even with a five and eleven overall record, what is your bold prediction for this year? I think they will not only do better than that. Uh, I think they're going to have a shot to make the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to, if they can win specific matches, finish second or third. I think they get a shot to make the tournament. Here's why. Look, first of all, I mean. Look at the trend, right? If you've been hired by Danny White recently in the last year, odds are you're going to postseason. <laughs> Number one, <Yeah. laughs> I like the percentages, but I do like the. You know, I watched them last year. Man, I just feel like if they would have gotten a couple of bounces. I think we'd be having a different story uh, with a lot of things within the program. Yeah. I, I don't think they're that far off. I think the record was misleading. Remember, they started off the last year. I remember I watched them. They were at Grand Canyon, which was their first big opening home field in Grand Canyon, which is a good men's soccer all, program. All the way out in Phoenix, too. Right. That's a long trip. You know, right. It, it's tough. And I, I, I think there's certainly – I know there's an adjustment period. Then the storm um, happened, and that canceled a couple matches, too. Yeah. It, a lot of things went wrong. A lot of things was weird. A lot of just awkward stuff. I think they're better than that. And uh, I, I think they got a shot to surprise. I, I don't, you know, I mean, go, go. You can go through once again that preseason rankings, but I don't know if there's that team that's like, oh, this team is just unbeatable. No, I, I don't think it is at all. And, and, and that speaks also to the fact that, uh, you know, in the American and men's soccer, because you only have, I think, you know, what is it? You have, uh, you have only. You know, eight teams playing. Remember, Wichita State doesn't ha- doesn't field a men's soccer right. team, even though they're even though they're joining the American in the Olympic sports. First couple games are going to be key, and uh, you can build yourself a nice little lead in the standings, and then kind of run away and hide. USF did that last year, where they finished six and one in the conference, at eighteen points. But then, you know, then you get to that that uh, you know postseason tournament time, and in the American. You know, Tulsa went out there and beat USF in Tampa, uh, in PKs, um, uh, in order to win the uh, the conference title. So, um, you know, and this was right after USF, by the way, beat UCF in in two overtimes in the semis. Uh, you know, correct. So, think know, how close that was. Yeah, Imagine that. I mean, uh, bounce here, bounce there, just like you were saying. So. Yeah, I, I, I do think that it's primed for that, that Scott Calabrese and his team are primed for uh, just a couple of those breaks that didn't go their way last year going their way this year. And, uh, and like I said to like I mentioned to him, that line from um, any given Sunday just kind of comes to mind. Like the inches we need are all around us. And when you have a weapon like Matias Puzolo on offense, you get some uh, you get some additional help from uh, from some guys on you know from your midfielders and from your defense, a couple breaks here and there, and who knows? I mean, they might they may very well be primed and ready for uh, to to make a run in the conference championship in Calabrese's first year. So I'll say this, and this goes it's it, it's true in almost every sport. If you've got arguably the best player on the field or the pitch in this case, or the best player in the league, you always have a chance. Yep. And I think UCF's going to have that for the majority, if not most of their matches uh, in the conference. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they use Matias this year. And and we're going to find out real quick because that first game 
uh, for Scott Calabrese and UCF men's soccer on the road at uh, at Duke uh, Friday, August the 25th. Uh, they've also got a game at Elon, their home opener, September the 1st. That's a Friday night against the Charlotte uh, 49ers at the UCF uh, Soccer and Track Complex. Definitely worth um, checking out their second home match, September 12th against FIU. And then they got Stetson October 4th. So a lot of road games actually starting out uh, for UCF um, in that non-conference schedule. So uh, only uh, only three home games until they start um, their conference home schedule on October the 7th. So, um, But hey, that October 4th against Wednesday, at Wednesday against Stetson, that should be a lot of fun to see as well. All right, so that will do it for our um, third and final UCF Fall Sports Preview. want to thank all the coaches uh, for spending some time with us as we looked at uh, women's and men's soccer and volleyball. Uh, and thanks also to the communications staff at UCF Athletics for uh, helping us out, as they always do. They're the best in the business. So uh, we will be following, of course, all these sports as we do here at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Make sure you follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, follow us on Facebook at blackandgoldbanneret. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. And follow Eric at Eric Lopezillo. All right, perfect. And then uh, don't forget, you can, you can subscribe to this podcast where we will have uh, interviews throughout the season and be following all these sports again on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. That'll do it, Eric. Thanks again, brother. We'll talk to you next week for, uh, oh, my God, we're, we're, we're ready for football already. <laughs> Hallelujah. Should be the fun time of the year. Let's Holy roll. moly, man. And a Thursday night game, too. So we're going to have to get that show up early. Well, I'm game. Yeah, we got it ready to go. It's showtime, baby. Here we go. Fall season is underway, folks. And thanks again for listening to us. We'll be right with you every step of the way. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.